Hi, this is Nikki Ramsh, author of The Selling Staircase, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Nikki Rausch, CEO of Sales Maven. Nikki Rausch helps to transform the misunderstood process of selling. With 25 plus years of selling experience, she works with entrepreneurs and small business owners to show them how to sell successfully and authentically. Nikki has written three books, all on Amazon, and she is the host of the Sales Maven podcast. Nikki lives in Boise, Idaho, and is here to talk about her book, The Selling Staircase. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? One of my biggest influencers and inspiration growing up was my grandfather. He owned a small business. He was legally blind. So he had already overcome this huge challenge in his life and become a successful entrepreneur. At the age of 10 and on up through my teen years, he let me work in the store with him. He taught me about ringing people up in the cash register, how to welcome people into the business. He loved to talk about money. We had tons of conversations about money. He was just a huge inspiration for me. He was somebody who really believed in me and left me with a feeling of I could do anything because he believed that I could. So what type of store was it? It was a tool store. He bought and sold new and used tools. I I was raised by my dad. I have three brothers. And I spent a lot of time in the tool store with my grandfather. I was raised around a lot of men, a lot of male energy, dirty Mm -hmm. tools. At what point did you realize that this is not an opportunity or an experience that many of your peers got to have where you were trusted to ring people out with probably expensive sets of tools and orders that wasn't a common experience for a lot of your your classmates? I think early on, I always had some spending money money. And that wasn't the case with a lot of my classmates and friends. I could always go out to lunch. Like in high school, we got to go off campus. I could always afford to pay for my own lunch. And I didn't get lunch money from my parents. That wasn't the kind of family I was raised in. I could always afford things because I got paid to work in the tool store. I've always worked since the age of 10 and on. It was the spending money thing, I think, that was really the difference. Do you remember a time when you were out with your friends and you were like, oh, you know what? Let me just cover that. It was just easy for you to be generous because you had that type of consistent, reliable income at a young age. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely in high school when we would go out to lunch and certain friends would say like, oh, I don't have any money, so I can't go along. And I'd be like, oh, I'll just cover your lunch. Come with us. I didn't have a big group of friends just being really candid here. I was very, very shy in high school. I had a very small group of friends, but I did want all of the the small group to be included. I didn't want somebody to not come to lunch because they couldn't afford to buy lunch. So I would just pay. You learned a lot, I'm sure, watching your grandfather and watching how he dealt with customers and absorbing things in that environment. Tell me, do you remember early on in your work career applying a lesson or being able to use the experience and wisdom that your grandfather shared either directly or indirectly, or maybe just believed in someone and let them know that you could do something that maybe they themselves didn't believe in, but you gave them that encouragement and that push and opportunity? I will say one of my first commission sales jobs was when I moved to Washington State. I grew up in in Boise, Idaho. And then I moved to Washington State and I got this job at the mall during the holiday season. It was one of those kiosks that was open in the mall. So it was selling leather goods. I remember 
that my grandfather had taught me so much about money and making sure that you were making it really easy for people to buy. The job had, it paid minimum wage. And this was back when minimum wage was like $4.25 an hour. It was a long time ago. The job paid, once you hit a certain level of sales during your time, however many hours you're working, then you got commission. I remember thinking these owners, it was a husband and wife team that owned this leather good kiosk. They were small business owners and I loved the idea that they would pay me commission. So sometimes I was making two and three and even four times the minimum wage because I was selling so much. And they were so interested in how I was doing this that they ended up making me the manager of the kiosk. I was this young kid. I was 18, 19 years old, 19, I guess, and making me the manager. I remember it was this whole idea of being able to talk to them about the money and like what I was doing. They wanted me to come over. They had another kiosk across the water at at another mall. They wanted me to come and talk them through some of the stuff that I was doing. All I was doing was the stuff that my grandfather taught me to do in the store because I didn't know any different. From your perspective, this is just common sense. Of course, you're going to be doing this. This is just what you're supposed to do when you're working. Like that was, you were supposed to be selling things. That's a really interesting segue because with sales, a lot of times business owners and entrepreneurs sell, but they don't really appreciate that it's a process. They don't appreciate how a process leads to more consistent results. They don't even want to know what's inside that black box of sales. What would you say to help someone who's got a low appreciation of the process nature of what sales are to get more interested in that and to apply it in their work? Well, so I'm going to preface this and say I have an extensive background in neuro-linguistic programming. And if that's a new term to anybody listening, it's essentially the study of communication. And NLP, there's all these presuppositions that we we learn. One of them is that there is a structure to excellence. Through my years of studying NLP, we learned that we could ask very specific questions and pay attention to eye accessing cues and body language and voice and the things that people would say. You could start to see that there's a structure behind absolutely everything that anybody does really well. Now, not everybody realizes they have a structure to how they get such exceptional results in their business because it resides in that unconscious competence. And so learning this idea that there's a structure to excellence, if you're looking at what your sales are like versus the person that you know is in your tribe or in your group of successful entrepreneurs or business owners, and you're wondering, why do they get such great results and I'm just getting by, there is a structure to how they're doing it really well. Now, whether or not they can teach you the structure, that's a whole different topic, but there is a structure to something that they're doing because you cannot get exceptional results in life and in business without some kind of structure. I really believe strongly in structure. When you started studying LP and came across the concept that everything has structure behind it, if you know how to look and ask, how did you start to apply your background in sales and business and and just become curious about how the structure of successful sales worked. One is I always wanted to hang around whoever was the most successful salesperson in the room. I wanted to see if I could see or understand or hear some of their structure, and then I could apply it to my own life and business. I remember going to work for Hitachi America, and there was one sales guy in the room, and he was really successful. He was successful at sales, but what he was really successful at is his customers just absolutely adored him. They would go to bat for him. They would just do absolutely anything for him. I was very curious about what made his clients, his customers 
so very loyal. I just wanted to hang out with him all the time and hear what were some of the things that he was doing and saying to his clients. I started to see, and his name was Patrick. Patrick was so amazing and he had created such great customer loyalty. His customers would just do anything for him and they wanted to hang out with him sometimes. And you think, oh, he's super suave. He's super this. No, he was like the guy next door. He was just such a great guy. Really what it was is that he always put the other person as the center of a conversation. He made the other person feel really important. In return, people would just have such loyalty to Patrick. And I just wanted to hang out with him. And he took me under his wing and let me hang out with him. Sometimes him and I would just go to dinner, just the two of us. And I would sit there and just ask him question after question about his clients and what his process was, what his day looked like, what was he doing when he was taking his clients out to dinner? What was he doing when he was going into their offices for meetings? And he had shared, I think he was the one that taught me, if you go into an office to have a meeting with one guy, you don't just go in and have the meeting with the one guy. You like you bring cookies or you bring something for the whole office so everybody knows you're there and everybody knows your name. I was like, ooh, that was so good. That's terrific. When you're prospecting virtually now, What's Mm -hmm. the equivalent of that for people who are now reaching out virtually via email and social media influencing and looking to get attention and the attention of their prospects who they could help? What's the equivalent of something like that? I'd mentioned that Patrick would always make the person the center of the conversation and he would make it about them. I teach this now in selling that a lot of times when we're reaching out on social media or we're sending emails to people, we write emails from our perspective. I noticed that your business, that you do this and that you're focused on that. Is that true? I don't tell people what I want and what I know about them. I ask them questions. I make the message about them. Clients often say to this, say this to me all the time. They're like, I used to get ghosted all the time with my messaging, Nikki. Now, because I ask questions, people actually respond to my messages because you're making it interesting to the reader. You're making it about them. I will credit that is a very Patrick type of doing business of really making it about the other person. They're so much more interested when it's about them and not about you. I love that approach because it really engages someone from an early stage of the process that it's a conversation and you're adding value by asking questions. You're not slapping a business card in front of them. You're saying, gosh, have you noticed that there's a better way to do something that's critical to his or her business? Start to build that known trust factor. Then step two in the selling staircase, once you've done that, is create curiosity. This, by the way, is the most missed step in the selling process. Most people don't think about ever creating curiosity. But if you don't create curiosity with the person you're in conversation or having some type of interaction with, chances are they know what to ask you. They don't know what you know. They don't know what to do with you. So the conversation will kind of like stall out. It won't go anywhere. We want to create curiosity so that people are leaning in. They're asking questions. We're having a real conversation because conversations happen through questions. I ask a question, you answer. You ask me a question, I answer. That's what you make this back and forth. Unfortunately, most people think selling is talking at people. I think selling actually is talking with. And one of the ways you can talk with is ask questions and have other people ask you questions. We got to create curiosity. That's step two. Step three, once we've created some curiosity, 
curiosity, the next logical step usually is a discovery or some type of a consultation to understand what's going on for this person. Do they have a problem? Do they have a need, a want? And more importantly, do I have a solution that might meet that need, that problem? Okay. In the discovery, the idea here is to ask really good questions that lead people down the path to identifying, gosh, Bill, you have something you could really help me with. I lack in this area or I would like to learn more in this area. So I'm going to continue this conversation with you as a prospect. We've got to do a well done discovery. Once we have an idea when we're the seller that yes, I do have a solution for this person, then we move them to step four, which is the proposal. Now that sounds very formal. I don't mean it as it's more around that's when you actually sell in the sales conversation, because now you've got information about their problem, their need, or the want. Now you your job is to give them a solution or an opportunity for a solution that solves that problem, that need, or that want. So that's really where you do the selling. Lay out a really clear offer that's easy for them to say yes to. And then you follow up with step five, which is the close. This is the second most missed step in the sales staircase because most people don't ever think about even asking people for the business. And the truth of the matter is is if you don't ask for the business, most people won't decide to hire you. An example of a close, for instance, would be, let's say I laid out an offer for you and then I'm going to say, Bill, is that something you'd be interested in moving forward with? I have to ask you that question so you can decide yes, no, I have a question for you, Nikki, or step to step. I tell the seller, you don't get to skip steps. You don't get to just walk up to somebody, say hello, and then go in for the close. That's skipping steps. That's going to, frankly, annoy people (laughs) and confuse them. You don't get to skip steps. Now, if they come up to you, if somebody comes up to you in an event and says, Bill, I've been listening to your podcast. I need what you offer. I'm so in. I'm ready to sign up for your program. I don't want you to say, hey, slow your roll. We got to go back to step one, right? No, you go ahead and sign them up for the program unless you have a couple questions for them. That's the selling staircase. It's a simple layout and it involves both marketing and sales. You're generating interest and demand at certain steps and you're also taking it to a point where you're making an offer. Help clarify for people who are listening to this where marketing hands over to sales. Where's the trade over? That's a great question. It could be that the the marketing is helping to make that first impression. That could be done through your website. That could be done through ads. That could be done from somebody hearing you on a podcast. That's some marketing, right? Now, step two, creating curiosity. That could come because somebody opted in for your free lead magnet or whatever on your website. That could create a little curiosity or could also get they heard you on a podcast. You said something that made them go, ooh, I'd like to know more about that. That draws them in. But realistically, selling starts in that discovery process because the discovery process usually is a conversation, whether it's an email back and forth exchange between you and the other person, or if it's a live conversation. I find most of the clients that I work are selling services. So that sales conversation, that discovery process is a live conversation more times than not. In my mind, it's always between discovering curiosity because it becomes something where you're looking to educate, interest, and attract people to an actual specific person. That for me is the changeover between marketing and sales. When somebody is saying, you know what? I have a problem. Could we talk about that further? You're no longer marketing to your target market, but you're now having a conversation one-on-one. Is that idea similar? Is it in line with the selling staircase? A hundred percent. The thing I didn't mention in here, because I don't know how 
deep you want me to go in each one. But a lot of times when you create curiosity, what happens next is the individual will give you a buying signal. Now, a buying signal is what you just said back to me of, oh, I I would like to, could we have a conversation about that? Usually a buying signal can come in the form of a question from the prospect. So that's what you gave an example of was that, is that something we can have a conversation? And in my mind, I even hear a little noise in my head. I always think ding, ding, because it's like, pay attention because these buying signals are so crucial to success. When you get a buying signal, don't say to somebody, here's a calendar link, go ahead and schedule that. Instead say, yes, let's get a time scheduled on our calendars right now. Make it so easy for them to get a time scheduled. Or if it makes sense, say, I've got 10 minutes now or 15 minutes now. Do you want to talk now? Whatever that is, but don't push them off. Don't say, you got to go watch this video on my website, or you need to go fill out this form. When you get a buying signal, you act on it. You take them to the next step, which is usually the discovery. Right. In my mind, all of the value is at the top of the staircase. The client, the prospect is giving you permission to give value into their organization once they reach the top of the staircase. So you'd never want to tell someone, oh, take two steps back because we haven't covered those two steps. Exactly. (laughs) Actually, I had that happen one time with a client. She was so confused about this idea. She was saying, gosh, she was sending me an example. So this is my client, Lisa. She has a service-based business in the Seattle area. And she was saying, gosh, Nikki, this person keeps sending me these messages over DM. Let me look at the messages. Let's look at these messages and see what's going on. When I see the message, I instantly see this person is ready to take the next step with her. She just wants to know what are her packages and how to sign up. But Lisa is asking her to go back to step one and fill out all this information about her. And it's like, well, this is why there's a disconnect because you're asking her to take two steps back. She's ready for discovery proposal close. And she was like, but I thought I was supposed to take her through all five. I was like, take ownership. Then that's my fault for not making that super clear to you. When a client comes in or a prospect comes in, whatever step they come in showing interest at, you take it from there and you move your way up the staircase. You don't move your way back down the staircase because that will also frustrate, overwhelm, or frankly, confuse people. They're like, I'm trying to buy from you and you're asking me like really basic questions that don't really matter. I think that sin of irrelevance is probably one of the worst things you could do to a prospect. It sounds like that's what was happening there. Yeah, exactly. I love the way you framed that, the sin of irrelevance. I've never heard it framed that way. I think that is brilliant. What did you ask Lisa to do in order to get out of the ditch back on the the selling staircase? And what happened? I asked her to go back and put together and, and send it to me first, but which she did, send the message to say, here are the different packages based on what you've shared so far. My recommendation would be this one and then issue that invitation. Is that something you'd like to get signed up for? So she did. The person said yes. She became a client. Now they're happily working together. We sometimes have blind spots, right? We all do. This is why you need coaches. This is why you need people who can support you in your in your entrepreneurial, your business journey. It was just that like blind spot in that moment, which is okay, but you need people to help you get out of it. When something isn't going the way that you want it to go, ask somebody else to take a look at it. Because chances are you're inadvertently putting up some kind of a roadblock. When you put up roadblocks, 
roadblocks, you're basically asking clients like, hey, climb over this huge wall that I just erected in front of us. Most clients won't because they are busy. They're overwhelmed. They'll wait till they find somebody else who offers what you offer and they'll work with that person if that person makes it easy for them to just get what it is they say they need or want. A lot of times I know that managers who speak to me about some of these issues will say a prospect may not buy the right thing unless we have a conversation. They may only buy what they want, not what they need necessarily. When somebody says that to you and they have hesitancy to selling something to someone, what is it that you advise them to do? Do you say first satisfy what they want and then you'll earn the trust in order to work with them on what they need? Or do you say, wait a second, before they do that, you want the first impression to be strong. So offer at least to have that conversation. What's the approach you take? I always say it like this. Your job is to offer what the person needs, not what you think they can afford. I find a lot of times business owners, entrepreneurs, we tend to project onto other people what we think they'll pay for our services or how much they'll value us or not. It's a huge mistake based on the information that somebody's given you that they absolutely need your VIP package, for instance. And they're asking about just a strategy session with you. And you know that the strategy session isn't going to quite get them what they're saying they absolutely want to have come in asking about a strategy session. I'm happy to give you more information about that. Based on what you've shared, is it okay if I make a recommendation for you? I like to ask permission before I just go into sales mode. If they say yes, I'm going to say based on how much is it that I'm going to say the price, I'm going to issue the invitation for them to say yes to it. If they go, oh gosh, that was a little bit more than what I was looking to spend, then I could say, well, you came in asking about a strategy session. You can certainly do that. And that would be a first step for us to start to work together. Should we talk a little bit more about getting you scheduled for a strategy session? It's okay to do a step down in the sales process. But if you know that they need that VIP day, then stand in your place of authority and credibility and recommend it. A person would never go to a doctor, for instance, if they have a broken bone and they say, I really don't have time to have this set. Can you just give me like a Band-Aid and an aspirin? The doctor wouldn't allow that because it's malpractice. Yes. Yes. That's a great example. The other thing that I love the way that you frame it is that you frame it in the context of a relationship. You wouldn't do this to a stranger and you're asking questions so you can go from unknown to known in a lot of areas. And you could make these kind of important recommendations because you're always looking to improve the prospect's situation. Even if we just have a conversation, I think our philosophies are aligned in that way. Whatever conversation or time we have together, we're always looking to leave people better off. What else is important to know about relationships? selling that's different from other types of selling that people might have been exposed to. I'm going to say the other thing I think is really important to know is I mentioned this before that sales is something that you do with people, not to them. You shouldn't be talking at people. You should talk with and that happens through questions. You also, I think as the business owner, as the professional, it's okay to bless and release people that are not a good fit in the business or that you don't have a solution for them. I think we sometimes get under this misconception that, oh my God, I have to close every sale. Anybody who shows any interest, I got to track them down. I got to push. I got to try to get them to buy from me. I have to convince them that they need whatever it is. I don't believe in convincing. I also believe in chasing people because I think when you chase clients, they turn into toddlers. If you say to a toddler right now, like, I'm going to chase 
you. They don't even have to know what the game is and they're off and running. Don't chase clients. If you get a sense that you're talking to somebody and they're just not a right fit or you don't have a solution that's going to meet their need, it's okay to say to them, it has been so nice chatting with you. I get a sense that I am not the right coach for you. I'm going to respectfully decline continuing the conversation, but please know I'm honored to have met you. I really appreciate your time and attention. And if something were to change, you're always welcome to come back and touch base with me again. I'd be so happy to hear from you. And you bless and release. And it's totally okay to make room in your life and in your business for people who are the right fit without trying to fold yourself into a mold that doesn't fit your offer, doesn't fit the right client. It's okay to just bless and release. I love the way that you put that, Nikki, because people are listening. If they have what I consider to be a scarcity mentality, a scarcity of leads, a scarcity of opportunities, they do pursue the you have to keep contacting someone until they either buy or die. That's an approach. It's not the only approach. What you're sharing is that you could say very clearly, I don't think this is a fit. And that's okay. If your situation changes, I would be more than happy to speak with you and we could pick up where we left off. You leave it in a good place rather than making people feel bad about not being ready for you or not open to what you have to offer. It doesn't diminish the value or the circumstances at either end of the relationship. Yes. Amen. You nailed it. Now, here's some else that I read in your book is you help people learn the difference and improve their ability to prospect by thinking about the difference between how you call a cat and how you call a dog. Many people don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Please explain. That again goes back to curiosity step two. Please bear with me for just a second because I know it sounds okay. Now Bill's got some crazy lady on his show. But if you think about when you want to call a dog, you do this thing where you go, come here, boy, come here. And when you sometimes show up in conversations with prospective clients or show up at events, networking, show up online, at wherever you're showing up, and you have what I call this dog calling energy. It's, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I've got this new offer. Everybody needs it. It's going to be the progressive. That's that like dog calling energy. And people don't respond to dog calling energy. As a matter of fact, a lot of times they push away. They're like, ooh, too much. Well, even a push away, even an eye roll is a response. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Or even a tilt the head to the side, like, what is this person doing? Yes. It's all a response. It's cues that they're giving. On the opposite side of that, I think about creating curiosity is more like calling a cat. If we've gotten any cat lovers in the audience and you're listening, if you want to get your cat's attention, a lot of times you'll do this thing where you go, here, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. And your cats may come to that, but they may not. They may still just look and check you out and go, what do you want? I'm going to give you my attention for a few seconds. When you're trying to get attention, when you're trying to create curiosity, you want to have what I call here, kitty responses to questions because that opens the door for somebody to have a discussion with you. So for instance, like you can post on social media, oh my gosh, this amazing thing just happened and here's all these great things about my business and why everybody loves me. You could do that. That can be a little bit of dog calling energy. It's a little bit of what I call a little word vomiting too. But if you instead on your social media said, asked a question, the question might be, what's the most exciting thing that happened this week in your business? And then you say, here's what mine was. And you say it, now there's a little bit of conversation because it gives the other person the opportunity to think of what was the best thing that happened this week in my business. Okay, I could share this with Bill. I want to read what his is because I've shared mine. Now you've created maybe a little curiosity 
curiosity. I did this not too long ago about the podcast. I was celebrating something about the Sales Maven podcast. I asked that same question. What was something really exciting that happened this week in your business? What exciting thing happened for the Sales Maven podcast was this. I got all these great responses of people sharing like things that were really good for them. I also got somebody who said, Nikki, I didn't know you had a podcast. I'm going to go listen. Great. I bring in a new listener, possibly, and other people are now starting to pay attention to what's going on in my podcast. They want to share their good news with me because I'm somebody who's open to hearing it. All these things are ways to create curiosity. There's lots of ways to do it. I just gave you one example. Nikki, could you explain what the Sales Maven Society is and how it helps you learn from the members? Oh my gosh. The Sales Maven Society is my group coaching program, also known as a membership. And it is where inside the Sales Maven Society, my members have access to a myriad of trainings from me on selling topics. We have two live sessions a month where they come and ask me sales questions and I give very tailored specific answers to their issue. And we have a really amazing private group where they post questions. They also post in there, here's something I'm about to send out to a client. Nikki, will you take a look at it? I take a look at it. Oftentimes I offer some edits, some tweaks on how to make it more reader friendly. We have a lot of success in there. And because I've been really lucky and I've attracted these amazing business owners, they support each other in the group. They're not just there to learn from me, which is great. I'm, I love to teach, but they're also there to support each other. And they do. They do business together. You can ask any question in there that has anything to do with business. And there's some expert in there that will give you a resource, a suggestion. It's just been an amazing opportunity for me to expand my own network, for me to demonstrate and teach what it is that I do, but also just to be surrounded with really cool business owners. I'll tell you, the way that you describe it as such a vibrant learning community where people are helping each other be successful is kind of the art, contains elements of the culture that many businesses today are looking to create in operations and customer support, as well as marketing and sales. The process you use when you want to move someone from, say, email to having a live conversation. How does it work given the way that you develop the technique? Okay. I love that you're asking about this. I rarely get asked about the three times technique. If I can preface, I'm going to make a little, if you're willing to keep a very open mind as I explain this to Bill as the listener, then I have example after example of times that this has worked. A lot of times people like to say, this won't work for me, Nikki, and they'll give me all the reasons why. And I'm going to say to you, if you're willing to test this technique, you may just find this is the thing that will help you move somebody from some type of a email interaction or some type of just a written interaction to a live interaction. Interaction. The idea behind the three times is to make it so easy for somebody to pick a time to get on a live call with you. The way it works is you don't send somebody a calendar link. You actually send them three times. And I'm going to give you the very specific language that I teach. Sometimes I'll say with the language, you adjust it, make it more yours. This is one of those times that I'm going to encourage people to stick pretty close to my language because I have so many examples of times that it's worked. And I have tons of examples where people have changed it and then come to me and said it didn't work. The best worst case scenario is that everybody wants to schedule with you at the same time. That never ever happens. Only about four times a year do I have to ask somebody if we can move their time by a little bit when they respond. I'll usually say, can we go half an hour earlier, half an hour later, or I'll give them three more times. But this is how I get people on live conversations. This is how my clients get people on live conversations because live conversations is the best and easiest way to earn somebody's business. 
business. That's really interesting. You're also not saying how long the time slot should be for. You're just saying any time between 3 and 5 p.m. Now you could, if you want to qualify, hey, can we get on a short 10-minute call? You could say that, but you still give ranges of time. Most people, what they say is, here's my calendar link, find a time I'm available. That makes it all about me. That's not interesting to the person you're sending it to. Or they'll say, here are some times I'm available, Thursday at 3, Friday at 4, or Monday at 2. That feels good. I spoke years ago at this event in the Seattle area. It didn't have anything to do with this three times, but there were a hundred business owners in this room. And the woman who had organized the event, Elizabeth, she stood up at the end before I came off stage. She said, I just want to say something to the group. I didn't know what she was going to say. I just would like to say that Nikki is the only speaker that I've ever invited to come to our event that made it so easy for me to schedule her. I scheduled her faster than I've scheduled anybody else. She's somebody that I would ask to come back again and again because of how easy she made it. Now, if you track back to what I did, it was this three times language. And that's what she loved. That's what, and as a matter of fact, they did ask me to come back two more times to speak to their group. I think they would still bring me back, but I don't live in that area anymore. Well, again, what you're doing is you're removing friction, you're being gracious, and you're building a relationship. So if people keep those principles in mind, plus the wonderful example of the language pattern that you shared, you've really given people tools for success. I just want to thank you for being so specific and giving such powerful information in our conversation. Now, I have a question for you because you recognize questions are a way to build relationships. My question for you, Nikki, is are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? I sure am. I can't wait. I'm so excited. That's exactly the right place to be in. <laughs> So at the beginning of the conversation, we uh, we chatted about someone who influenced or inspired you growing up, and you talked about your grandfather and how he gave you opportunities to work in his store. When you were a teenager, Nikki, what is a song that you loved? Oh, I'm going to say it's still a song I love today. And it wasn't a popular song because it was from the 70s. So it was more from when I was born, but it's still the song I love so much, which is Cheap Trick, I Want You to Want Me. Want you to want me. And what do you love about that song? One, I love, the, lyric? Their, what do you love? the melody of it, right? But I also love the words about it. I want you to want me. I love you to love me. I will say I am somebody who loves to be loved. So it just speaks right to my soul. I feel like it's very revealing about who I am as a person and how I show up. It's a great song in the sales training business. My goodness. <laughs> what do you do each week to help you advance your mission of making sales easy and sharing the selling staircase? How do you get the what word I do out each, each week? I'm sorry, what was that? What do you do each week to help get the word out about your mission? It's the podcast, the Sales Maven podcast and the new episodes that go out every week. I'm always trying to offer something of true value, whether you ever pay me a dime, buy a book, sign up for a class, whatever it is, the content of the podcast will benefit listeners, whether we ever work together or not. And that's always my intention is to come from a place of being of service. I'm Noticing the time, and we're close to the top of the hour. Do you have some time to go over a little bit? Yeah. I just want to make sure you don't have a hard stop. Yeah, thank you for asking. I have stopped really participating on Facebook other than inside the Sales Maven Society because I just found that it was a time suck and it wasn't really contributing to me feeling good about myself and or making any kind of a positive impact in my life. I only go on there to participate in the group, which is awesome and nothing else. 
there are so many ways that you have contributed and helped people listening today. So I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best, talking about your grandfather who gave you such a great experience early on in believing in you and giving you responsibility, talking about, we talked about the importance of, of asking permission and making sure that when you're inviting people up the different levels of the staircase, you're asking their permission to go forward in the process. The idea of putting other people first as a way of honoring them, as well as making sure you're addressing their needs, serve others more effectively, but the language that you offered her made all the difference. And for these and so many more reasons, I want to thank you again. I want to thank you for joining me today on my quest for the best, Nikki. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to spend this time with you. Before we say goodbye for now, where's the people can find out more about you and your work online? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm going to wrap this around a gift for your listeners, if that's okay. This is... Oh, thank uh, the, you. Okay. The easiest way is I would like to gift anybody listening a an ebook that I have called Closing the Sale. And it really talks through those last three steps of the selling staircase. It gives you some language suggestions for your discovery to move them to proposal to close. It's about building confidence. You can get that by going to yoursalesmaven.com forward slash quest. So this is specifically for your audience. And thank you so much for letting me be here with them. Nikki, we're going to link to yoursalesmaven.com forward slash quest to make it super easy. People find that resource as well as your social media, as well as places to buy the book, as well as your other books. So it's really easy for people listening to this episode to keep up with what's going on in your world as the sales maven. Nikki Rausch, author of The Selling Staircase, Mastering the Art of Relationship Selling. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.